Hello from Education International in Brussels. This is Ed Voices, a podcast of global education news and advocacy. EI is more than 400 teacher and educator unions and professional associations in 173 countries representing 32 million members. Here's your host. Hello. In this podcast, we'll hear from some of EI's past and present women leaders as they reflect on how and why gender equality has always been an EI priority and the role that EI has played in advancing gender equality within the education union movement. EI's founding president, Mary Hatwood Fatrell, explains that in the early days of EI, there needed to be a particular effort made to make sure women could actively participate in EI events and activities. If this wasn't done intentionally, women's voices would simply not be heard. And I can remember the going to meetings and even though most of the people who were there were women, they often were told they couldn't get up and talk and that the men were going to do all the talking. And 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 if, if you got up and talk, you were told you wouldn't be allowed to come back to another WCOTP conference. So we decided that women uh, would should have a voice, and they should, and they had the right to speak, and they could not be penalized for speaking and expressing their opinion. And so what we decided to do was when we formed AI, we said that we we, said, we, we within the WCOTP we had formed a women's caucus. And we wanted women to come together to understand their critical role within not only the organization but the profession and to make sure that they understood that they had a voice, they had a right to stand up and speak and to express their opinion. And we were able to persuade the negotiating teams as part of the merger to include the Women's Caucus in that to make sure that we had equal opportunity for women to be leaders for women to be heard, for their voices to be heard, uh, et cetera. Part of what we were trying to do in that meeting at the, at the Congress was to make sure that the women delegates understood the EI structure, understood what the issues were, and that they had a voice, that they could stand up on the, on the floor of the Congress and speak just like the men could speak, and that and, and they, they, had, they had an equal voice. Uh, we also strongly encouraged at the regional level as well as at the local level that women be encouraged to have a strong voice within those regions and within those locals. And one of the things we, we, we pointed out, most of the teachers around the world are women, and yet you're saying that we are the majority, like 60 to 75%, but we, we don't have that much of a voice. And we've said, well, we are professionals, we are members, we are equal to everybody else, so we should have a voice. So those were some of the goals that I had and that I, I worked very strongly with the EI staff and with the EI leadership uh, to make sure that, that women had a voice. Even our regional coordinators, we said we want at least one or two of the regional coordinators to be women. And so, so we show that women can perform and are leaders within the organization. Uh, we also uh, fought for equal educational opportunities for girls to make sure the girls had a, an opportunity and a right to go to school, a right to have a, to earn an education, uh, et cetera. So those were some of the goals that I had and that the EI as an organization uh, for which we, we advocated. Of course, there are many aspects of women's lives that can impact positively or negatively on their ability to fully enjoy their rights. Sheena Hanley, former EI Deputy General Secretary, highlights this as a critical issue and something she wanted to focus on during her time at EI. Yes, I, I very much wanted people to realise that women are not a monolithic group. And that when you're looking at policy development, uh, you do not develop a policy and then say, oh, well, what are we going to do for women? Um, It's, you know, considering the impact for equality of any policy shouldn't be an an afterthought. I used to call it the oh yes and women syndrome. We've done all this, you know, we've decided what we're going to do, now we'd better make it fit for women. And, uh, you know, that's for me is just not the way that you go. Uh, that all policy development should take equality issues into account. And 
when I say that, I think that you re- you need to reflect on the needs of women of all groups. You know, you've got women of color or racialized women. You've got indigenous women. You've got women of dif- with different sexual orientation, women with different f- physical abilities, women who live in poverty and the impact that that has on the lives of their lives and also on the lives of their children. There's refugee women often left alone with their families in precarious situations. And then there's the cultural issues that affect women negatively, like early marriage, early childbearing, female genital mutilation. And so I I think that that was one of the issues that we did a lot of work on. Um, We really pushed the envelope on these matters with our colleagues and our colleagues in the labor movement, too, and with other NGOs, because quite often there was a tendency by some people to think that teachers have relatively good conditions in terms of work when they're compared to women in other areas. And so when you went in and tried to bring forward some of the concerns that you had for women in the education sector, you weren't always met with sympathy, <laughs> Um, One of the main tools to promote women's participation within the education union movement has been the women's networks. EI's women's networks exist at regional and sub-regional levels and include the African Women in Education Network, the Education Workers Women's Network in Latin America, and the Council of Pacific Education Women's Network. Former EI Deputy General Secretary Jan Eastman explains the importance of the networks for furthering gender equality. So uh, the gender networks were of key importance in all of this because it speaks to the long-term agenda um, and um, it is also a a way of empowering women um, in their own workplace um, and their own living place. So um, I'll use the Caribbean as an example. where um, women were on the executive, uh, but they were in very traditional roles. And I'd lived that history in Canada. As I said, I'd been an activist since as a very young teacher, and I'd seen these changes come about. Um, um, They weren't in positions. um, They were in the secretary, the social convener, um, type roles. Not that those aren't important, they are, but they weren't in leadership roles in the union. Uh, and there were numerous problems, um, including cultural um, um, reasons why women couldn't participate as much as men. There were family reasons. Um, not enough unions could afford to provide daycare, for example. Um, and uh, numerous reasons why the, the level of engagement may not be the same. But the main point was to hear the voice in the union. And I think that remains a challenge to this day. Um, but we needed to make some visible difference there too, at least in terms of women in elected positions in unions where they they did have a voice that they felt they could use. So, um, and the, this related to the to the network because the network could be um, a place that welcomed all members. Um, it was not going to be a structure that de- that defined membership to just a few. Um, it wouldn't have the same structures. It would be um, uh, that organisations necessarily have to have. Um, and uh, then we had to connect the network to the union in a way that worked for each in each place, um, which wouldn't be the same for each place. Um, and that's, that's a task in itself as well. Women leaders within EI have worked hard to ensure that women are visible and able to participate within the global education union movement. But EI has also played an important external role in promoting gender equality in and through education. Marilise Rettig, a former chair of the EI Status of Women Committee, explains that EI has been a leader in advancing the rights and interests of female educators. It has been and continues to be so incredibly important. And I guess I reflect on the the three fundamental pillars that we identified for Education International over the years. That's advancing basic democratic and the most fundamental of human rights. 
to advance the rights of educators and the rights of unions and strengthen unions. And the third is to advance education, and whether it is education for all, for, for all of our children and youth um, throughout the globe, or, or to advance um, education among the teaching and advancing the teaching profession. And I've got to say the rights of women and girls transcends each of those pillars, you know, whether it's the right for women to live free from violence, to have the right to vote, and you know, all those basic democratic rights that many of us in, in, in industrialized countries um, take for granted, those democratic rights, but, but others that permeate every country across the globe, and, and sexual abuse and, and, and violence against women is one of those examples to advance the rights of, of women educators. And I'll say, as, as the teaching profession becomes increasingly feminized, uh, those advancing those rights becomes even more important, whether it's to the right to equal pay, the right to maternity leave and, and protection for those who are, are uh, with families, and, and even security issues in terms of educators. And finally, you know, advancing education, the Education for All campaign, whether it was the Dakar Declaration back in 2000 and, and the subsequent, you know, Millennium Development Goals and Sustainable Development Goals, education is such a fundamental right for each and every child, regardless of where they live, in, in whatever country they live, uh, whatever their circumstance. Every child should have the opportunity to walk into a school and walk into a classroom and become educated. And, you know, in the year 2000, it was 120 million children that couldn't walk into a school. I think we're still around the 80 million mark. And it's so it shows you we have a, 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 a real significant step that we have to continue to take. And, and when you're looking at education for all, it's two-thirds of those children who never walk into a school or a classroom. Uh, are girls, and and when girls start in school, they don't continue beyond elementary school, and they don't continue into high school, they don't graduate, and and that will continue to be so critically important because education is fundamental to the development of of any society and uh, the well-being of anyone. Linked to education is the whole issue of literacy, and a disproportionate number of the hundreds of million of people who are, are illiterate remain women, and, and it's really important that um, that continues to be an issue that is the forefront of education in EI's role promoting gender equality on the international scene is also recognized by external partners and collaborators. From two of the other global union federations, we hear first from Chidi King, the current director of the Equality Department at the International Trade Union Confederation, who situates EI's work on gender equality within the broader global union movement. Then we hear from Nora Winter, former Deputy General Secretary of Public Services International. Well, I think EI does have a fundamental role to play and on the equality issues um, broadly has been playing um, quite a leading role. I think for various reasons or through various factors. First of all, public sector workplaces have been workplaces where the issue of equality has tended to have more importance and to be taken more seriously than, for example, in the private sector. Um, up until possibly recently, it's also been the sector that has been better organized in terms of, you know, trade unions mm -hmm. than the private sector, even though, you know, we know that density um, in the public sector um, is falling all across the world. So I think this is um, something that Education International, um, at least symbolically, has had a very important role to play. And I remember that at the time that I started, for instance, at PSI, um, EI and PSI were the only two organizations that were actively campaigning around the issue of pay equity. So none of the other um, global unions had this as a headline campaign, whereas EI and PSI together were working um, very closely on this. Even at the, in the level of the International Labour Organization, there was an active pay equity forum that, attended, that attempted to bring in other organizations, including other global unions. And of course, we know that, you know, Today, that whole issue of equal pay for work of equal value is very much back, um, back on the agenda. 
EI has been extremely important in advancing the rights of, of both students and educators um, and the support personnel. Uh, and I think really since the organization was, was founded, it's had a very clear perspective on the needs to support in particular uh, girls and, and women. I think that's been very much part of its founding principles. Um, and I think through the women's networks and committees, um, the EI has been able to you know, exchange good practice and, and coordinate advocacy around um, girls' right to education and um, equality in the education sector at large. Um, and I think that the quality public education campaigns resonate particularly with, with women educators uh, I think they can find their voice when, when raising issues of access to education for girls, uh, particularly those girls at, at, at risk, for example, of child labor or gender-based violence or early marriage, or now indeed with, with, with the situation of migrants and, and refugee children. And I think on all those issues, the EI has been extraordinarily important and um, channel women's energies into these issues. The other issue that the EI has been very keen to advance has been to promote um, women's positions in leadership in trade unions. Um, one of my assignments for EI was to, to conduct the Equality and Diversity Survey um, for the quadrennial period 2010-2014, which is the global survey of all the EI affiliates. And one of the key issues there was to look at how unions have been uh, promoting women's access to decision-making uh, with the support of, of the EI. And I think there's been enormous change, but it did come as a bit of a shock, I think, to, to realize as a result of that survey, admittedly in 2014, and I think things have changed since then, that there was a very high percentage of male presidents and general secretaries, which was not proportionate really to the teaching profession, which is overwhelmingly female. But what you are seeing through that survey, I think it came out very clearly, is that in the next generation, uh, things are changing very rapidly. And that there's a very interesting set of mentoring programs and outreach programs for young women and you can see that there's um, a lot of work happening there. A long-term collaborator of education unions and currently head of secretariat at the UN Girls' Education Initiative, Nora Files also recognises EI's key role in this area of work. From my perspective and from the perspective of Ongai, EI has an incredibly important role and has been uh, playing this role quite well in addressing and advancing the rights of women and students, um, women as educators, women as support personnel. I'm particularly interested in some of the work of the, of the, at the regional level and also at the union level. Um, the role of union members in advancing the rights and, of women and girls as teachers and as, as students in Uganda, you remember the Teachers uh, Action for Girls initiative, which started quite some time ago. Uh, teachers as speaking out and establishing ways of better addressing the needs of girls in, in Uganda, mm -hmm. but also the regional body, um, the African Women Educators Network, I think is a credit, incredibly important, um, important network that EI supports and convenes. But also as you work more with uh, changing gender norms in education and in discussion with with men in unions, that begins to sh can potentially at least shift what goes on in the classroom, and that too can have a direct impact on on female students. I don't think anyone else will be taking on this agenda the way I can and needs to. Academics, yes, but I don't think anyone else will be playing this role other than EI puts a fairly heavy burden on on the the federation or the association.
We also asked these leaders to say something about their own experiences as women leaders. Many of you will be familiar with some of the metaphors that have been used to describe the difficulties that women face in trying to progress in their careers across sectors. The sticky floor, the glass ceiling, the labyrinth. Each of these evoke different types of barriers that any woman who wants to get into a leadership or decision-making role must negotiate in order to succeed. Holdis Holst, Deputy General Secretary of EI, describes some of the challenges she faced as she moved up through the education union movement in her home country, Norway. Challenges. Well, it's sometimes difficult to know whether the challenges you have faced are because you were a woman mm -hmm. or just because you were going for a management position. Because sometimes just going for positions that have power, you are triggering people to also oppose you. But uh, there have been steps along the way that uh, you felt that mm, wasn't too difficult, too easy. Uh, I remember running as uh, the regional president of my region when that was really the first thing I did. And I, I still can vividly remember one of the, the local uh, representatives coming up to me and saying, a man, that you know what, I'm going to support you, but I'm only going to support you if you stop with those equality policies. He didn't want me as a leader of everyone to speak about equality issues. So it was support, but not support. I don't know whether he voted for me, but I didn't stop talking about equality issues. But it's a very strong signal that uh, we, can, we can accept you if you behave a certain way. I can also re remember when we were elected three women as the top leadership of the UEN, or the Union of Education Norway, it was not common to say that they were worried that there were three women. But we still heard it. The whispering, the unease feeling, will three women manage these tough bargaining situations? And it was really that, are you tough enough? So right. it's the old image of women not being tough enough to be able to do difficult jobs. From Northern Europe to Eastern Africa, we now hear from Teopista Birungi Mayanja about her leadership journey as the founding general secretary of the Uganda National Teachers Association. She highlights some of the key moments that not only inspired and motivated her as a leader, but led to recognition of her position and influence in her country. For Teopista, being a female leader in EI has been closely linked to her achievements at the national, regional and international levels. Well, the, the journey to, to, to leadership within Education International has not been very simple, but very satisfying because the more difficult it is and you manage to break through, that is the satisfaction. That's what we call a success story. As I told you, I started within our teachers association and the first, the first uh, step we went over is to transform. We transformed our teachers association into a union by uniting all the teachers who are disgruntled operating in smaller districts, operating in smaller sectors. And we registered a union. Uh, and as, as a female leader, I think I was very proud about that one. And then we continued. The union became bigger and bigger. Members registered. Training programs were made. And in the process, every Congress, I was re-elected re almost spontaneously without any opposition. I, I, I was almost a star in Education International because of the three Congresses where I was elected. I was always on top. This is a message that everybody was feeling the leadership of Topista. So was at country level. Everybody was not seeing. In the process, we even developed what we now call the education, pub, the pub, public education, quality public education campaign, which made me very popular. And uh, when I became a chair, to the Women Status Committee, and I 
I joined, I led the team to go to the New York UN Women Meeting. We met there with my, the Commissioner of Uganda Ministry of Gender, who was very inspired. And when he came back home here, it became, she announced to the entire government of Uganda that we were very impressed. We didn't know Topista is really very, is a leader on top that he was speaking for female educators, he was speaking for teachers, and he was speaking for all women, including girls, when we were in New York. Under the subsequent years, I was given a presidential award here in Uganda in 2012 as one of the outstanding female teachers who have made a tremendous contribution towards the development of education in the country. That one came as a result of education international activities that I was involved in. Then uh, I, in 2015, I was appointed to the International Commission on Financing Global Education Opportunities. And right now, I'm operating as the regional coordinator for the Africa Network Campaign for Education. So all this, I don't take it for granted. These are, have all been steps in professional growth, in managerial growth, but as a result of education international exposure. And even there, in Asefa, where I am, in the Global Campaign for Education, I'm, I'm identified as Education International. And when they want to talk about Education International, still they give me as a reference. For example, this, can you tell us about Education International? So this is part of my journey, and I, I, I'm proud to continue with it because I'm very proud of being a member of Education International. EI founding president Mary Hatford Fitral shared some of her experiences of overcoming barriers that she faced because she's a woman and also because she's African-American. Uh, I can remember when I became the local president, uh, I, I was the first minority and, and, uh, and, and one of the first women to lead at that level. And when I ran to be state president, uh, they refused to put my name on the ballot. Uh, well, I should say they put my name, but they didn't put my bio on the ballot. So when the voters looked at the ballot, all they saw was my name. And I challenged the whole state. And it was the first time in the history of the organization that the state had been challenged. And the, the delegation ruled in my favor, but they refused, the board refused to seat me. Even though the delegation ruled that, 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 that they should have put my name and my resume on the ballot so that the voters could see my credentials. Uh, but later I ran again and I won. And, and I became the first African American president, uh, female president, uh, uh, of the, of the state. And, uh, even at the, at the national level, uh, I can remember, and I haven't told too many people this story, I was told not to run. And I was told that I was running for Secretary Treasurer of the National Education Association, and I was told that it was a man's job, that that was the job for a man and not for a woman. Hmm. And I was going like, well, I'm not sure that I agree with you. Uh, first of all, I'm a business uh, teacher, so I do have some information, some knowledge and experience regarding finances. I've been involved in the organization for quite some time, so I understand the organization. So I'm not sure why you're telling me I can't run. And uh, so the delegates, they did vote for me to become the secretary treasurer, and later I became the president of the NEA. Uh, and, and, and there were times when, you know, you're told, well, you're a female, so you, you, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. And, um, and my answer was, why not? You're, we're here to fight the battle together and not for one person to say, I can do it, and, not, and, and for another, for you to decide that another one cannot do it. And in the end, the support was... Uh, overwhelming, and and uh, and I had, I think, a very successful tenure as president of NEA, and and so you know, the, the, sometimes there were there were criticisms, but then you look at it, you say, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to continue to move forward and move the agenda forward. And I think EI is a lot stronger, and EI is a model uh, for not only unions but for organizations in general regarding how do we 
utilize, how do we uh, capitalize on the, on the skills and the knowledge and experiences and the wisdom that our members bring to the table. And I think that because of what EI has done and because it's so much more inclusive, that EI is a much stronger organization. And when I look back at NEA and I look back at my, my state organization, the Virginia Education Association, we became models for other organizations because we truly represented all of our members and not just some of our members. Sheena Hanley spoke about the challenges of striking the right balance as a single parent and also about some of the stereotypical judgments too often made about women's ability to be leaders. Um, well, I was a single parent with two children and so I, you know, and I was teaching and then working at, I was elected at the local level and served as local president. But I did find that you know, my personal life um, meant that I was doing, um, you know, I stayed longer in, in positions than some men that I had worked with who tended to sort of move onward and upward, as it were, um, much sooner than I did, simply because, um, you know, I, I had responsibilities at home. Um, on my own and um, had to, to make sure that I was meeting all of these responsibilities. Um, so, but because of that, it gave me really good insight, I think, into the issues and problems that, that the local teachers were, were facing and, and trying to deal with. And that gave me a good background for when I did move into other areas um, I <laughs> I was often the only woman in a room, um, which was a little difficult at times. I, uh, you know, they with negotiations, for example, both sides of the table were it was all men except me. On uh, at times in negotiations, and I learned there that um, what stays on the table in negotiations can be very much influenced by the people who are sitting around the table, and what comes off, you know, and is set aside and kept for maybe the next round um, is um, dependent on the recommendations that go forward from a relatively small group of people. I was given the reputation of being feisty, which is really not me at all. <laughs> I hate confrontation. And a lot of people who've met me would, would say that, you know, that's not true, but it is. And very often I would take a deep breath and address for one more time the issues that, you know, I dealt with. It felt like for the millionth time. Uh, watch as all the eyes rolled and um, people kind of shrugged and looked at each other as though to say, oh, here she goes again. Um, but I knew that if I didn't continue to raise these issues, they would just die by the wayside that they would not be uh, continued on the agenda. And so um, um, it was often difficult, um, you know, being in that position. And there were times when I just thought, no, I can't, I'm not going to take it on again. I just, um, I've had enough. Uh, somebody else can, you know, fight the battle. But quite often, um, you know, it would come back up in some other way and then I'd have to get back into the issues again. So the other thing that I discovered that you really need to look at doing is um, getting the funds to do the work. Very, very often um, people would say, oh, yes, sounds like a really good idea. You go ahead and organize that, etc." And then you say, well, what budget do I have? And there's none. Um, and so you're expected to do the work, you know, um, but don't ask for any money to, uh, to help you get it done. So I, 
I uh, think that, you know, these things have helped me when um, I was, uh, uh, when I did move into, you know, the higher levels of leadership. I felt that um, I, there were lessons that I had learned that I wanted to teach to other women who were coming forward. One of the important things being watch the money. Um, and when I've been training different groups and working with different groups of women, I've always said to them to learn how to read the budget. And we did sessions on budgeting. EI President Susan Hopgood highlights how important it is for women to be supported on the path to leadership. She talks about the support she received from her sisters in the trade union and some trade union brothers too, as well as the support she got from family and friends. Look, I think we all have winding roads to negotiate in our lives. Um, uh, I have been very, um, I've been very lucky um, because I have been well supported, particularly by other women, right from the very beginning of my journey. I think my journey uh, with the, in, in, in my own union, actually, right from the very beginning, from when I started teaching and became active in the union, um, it, was, it was my sisters who actually encouraged me um, to take that one step to you know, become an elected representative, to take that next step uh, to actually make a speech, to take that next step uh, to chair a meeting, to take that next step to represent people in my workplace, um, to take that next step to, you know, feel confident about negotiating with the employer, to do all of those things, and then, of course, to take that step into the international world. You know, I've had many, um, many leaders, uh, many friends, many colleagues, both men and women, who've actually encouraged me uh, to do that and supported me. But in particular, I think it is women who've stood with me and encouraged me and um, to do that, and I think that's very, very important. Look, we do have the winding road, as you say. Um, you know, for me, and I think it is true for very many, um, for very many women, um, how how we how we deal with that challenge of family, work, um, union activities. You know, being an activist, how they all go together, and how you can fit those in, is is it's a big puzzle actually, and you've got to work out how to manage that puzzle. Um, so, you know, the challenges for me, I think, and the sort of in that winding road was how to ensure that, um, you know, uh, as a partner, as a parent, as a daughter um, and, and a sister, um, I, I could uh, participate but also feel that um, uh, I, I was still very much part of my family and that... Um, they were with me rather than us going separate paths. I think that's a challenge for everybody, actually. Um, you know, I talk about I talk about uh, my colleagues who've supported me, but my family have also been always very supportive. Um, but that's um, that's one of the that, that is one of the um, uh, uh, you know challenges that you, you have to deal with, particularly when you start on on the international work because it means being away from home. Um, uh, quite often, actually, missing opportunities, missing, you know, milestones of your uh, uh, of your children, those sorts of things. So, you know, I think that's part of that winding road. How you deal with those, how I've learnt to deal with those, and um, and you know, make sure that, you know, I hope that I've I've kept a um, a sort of a balanced a, a balanced life um, because I think we are. We are better people, we're better leaders, we're better representatives if we are ourselves, you know, um, have a balanced life because then we can better understand and better represent other people. So, you know, I think that that's the... If I thought about those challenges, I think for me, that is that has been the, that, that has been the biggest challenge uh, throughout all of this process, yes. As we celebrate the work that EI has successfully undertaken with regard to gender equality over the last 25 years, it's also important to turn our minds to the unfinished business that must be tackled in the coming years. Here's what our external partners think EI should focus on in the future. First Nora Winter, then Chitty King, 
and finally Nora Files. I think the other challenge for EI over the next 25 years will be the issue of precarious work. And I think that applies equally for school teachers as well as um, academics in the higher education field. And it's a, a very concerning trend. I have completed another study earlier this year on um, decent work in the higher education sector. And the incidence of precarious work there really is extremely concerning. Um, so EI will also need to keep advocating for decent working conditions for teachers, including um, the basic trade union rights of freedom of association and collective bargaining, and um, for a professional status, both from early education up to higher education, uh, because we are facing a worldwide trend of the informalization of working conditions, or as some people say, the uberization of working conditions. But it's not just about having a woman in a position of power. The, the type of leadership that we have, whether it's coming from a man or woman, is critical. So making sure that whoever is in leadership is bringing women up through the structures, is changing the style of leadership to ensure that equality is not just an aspiration, it's a day-to-day -day lived reality um, in the organization. Equity as well, so not just equality, but equity, because people tend to see equality as numbers, and, you know, okay, we've achieved that. There's um, nothing more to do. And again, equality writ large. So it's looking at issues of, you know, women and men, looking at issues of race, looking at issues of LGBTI, etc. And I'd love to see us all, you know, EI included, taking that on more systematically, actually, as global unions. So when we talk about gender equality, we're talking about gender writ large, not just, you know, women as a potentially um, homogeneous group, which we're not, <laughs> but we're looking at, you know, women in all our different um, characteristics and different identities. I think your engagement with the UNGAI is in fact a very powerful opportunity for you to advance gender issues through other partners because we convene the, perhaps the best um, the best recognized coming to uh, convening or par partnership of the leaders in girls education and gender equality and they find your participation in their discussions to be very powerful that you consider that to be continue to be an important connection because through these partners you will be introduced and invited into other spaces you have not been to before mm -hmm. and so I think strategically as you're looking for the next 25 years thinking about managing this uh, this relationship and perhaps others which allow you to influence the discussion as you do with education with um, the Commission on on financing and with GP which other gender uh, appropriate or gender um, transformative partnerships would you like to uh, develop and I think Ungai would be one in which we'd really appreciate from our side and you might also uh, find useful. EI's past and present female leaders also highlight key areas for EI to focus on in the coming years. Teopista Birungi Mayanja mentions three key priorities. The first one I would like us to organize young female teachers and pay attention to them much more than ever before. The teaching profession seems not to be attractive and it will continue to be less attractive unless they are young people to make it stronger and more vibrant. So we need to pay attention to the organizing of young teacher activists within the teacher unions so that we strengthen the movement. The second one, we must prioritize inclusive education, which pays attention to the disadvantaged, especially the girls so that both girls and boys can access education equally 
succeed and achieve. And then the third one is the professionalizing of teaching. Because in my own opinion, I have a lot of fears that the teaching is under attack as a profession. Everyone who has been to school thinks he can teach. Because teacher and the teaching is the most significant investment we have got to do in education. As a result, very many other actors are looking at it as a cost. And so they have brought in market tendencies. And so the teaching is being deprofessionalized because everyone wants to run away from costs. So we need to do a lot of advocacy. We need to do a lot of awareness. We need to do a lot of educating others that we shall never have any sustainable development globally, live alone in the developing countries, unless we pay attention to education. And the paying attention to education is about investing in the teachers. And investing in the teachers for the purpose of making the profession more attractive so that it can attract more able young teachers with the skills and the attitude that can ensure that every child on the continent accesses education of quality and realizes their abilities, their potentials. Chair of the EI Status of Women Committee, Diane Wolleshock, uses the metaphor of a campfire to describe EI's continuing role on the global stage. So to me, a key role of EI is this gathering together of people. And to me, the image for that is the campfire. You know what it's like at a campfire. You all get together. You're standing in a circle. If more people come, the circle just gets bigger. It's very inclusive. And uh, it, it's this gathering, this bringing together of people uh, and this valuing of the perspectives that they bring, the valuing of what they have to share and how we're able to learn from one another and network, build relationships. Uh, that to me is uh, connecting such a key, key role of EI because uh, isolation is just uh, a killer. If we end up having to work on these things alone, uh, it just magnifies the, you know, the, the challenges. For Sheena Hanley, ensuring refugee women and their children are able to access quality education is an increasingly important area for EI's focus. I would say that looking at what's happening with refugee women, because that's going to be an issue that's going to be with us for the next 10, 15, 20 years, sadly. But so many of these women are on their own with children. They're the last to be given consideration when it comes to, you know, many, getting many aspects of their, their life and their work defined and, and getting the help that they need. And so I do think that there's going to be a need uh, for us to look at um, and work with groups that are providing education um, and support for women and for children in those those settings. Marie-Lise Rettig. But I think it will be fundamentally important to ensure that, that EI at all levels um, looks to advancing women within power structures, be it within union structures, be it within various societies in governmental structures. And I think there's a really important role that education and EI can have to advance women within positions of power, to ensure that their voice, that they're present at, at those tables and to ensure, ensure that their voice is heard. I think there's a really important role for EI to continue to um, support unions and the work of unions because they're being threatened as never before uh, in, in developing countries as well as in industrialized countries. And uh, the threats that we see to democracy, 
the threats to freedom of speech, the, the, you know, I mean, all of those are intersecting and all of those, um, are, are ones that EI will continue to have a strong role in. Hold this holst. I would say that I hope that when we come to, to EI 50, mm-hmm. that we've actually reached the day and age where even a person like me can say that we don't need the quota. Mm-hmm. Where it's a natural thing, it's just as natural to elect a woman as to elect a man. That we've come to a day in the world's history where we don't need to specifically focus on girls' education. Because it's actually just as natural for a girl to get an education as a boy. And we're not there yet. So if we do that, that we make sure that we don't need special methods for for women to achieve positions in civil society or politics, Mm -hmm. and we don't need special measures for girls to access school because it's natural, Mm -hmm. then it'll be a great 50th anniversary. We'll give the last word to EI's two female presidents, who both emphasized the need for EI to continue to be a pioneering and leading organization. First, current president Susan Hopgood, and finally founding president Mary Hatwood Futrell. But very importantly, EI must um, continue to be, and it has become this, I think, very much so in the last, in the last decade or so. We must very much become um, a- and keep being leaders too. That is, that we must be ahead and we must be demanding change. We must not just be responding to what's happening around us, but we must see what is what the world should look like and, and, uh, and try and show the way in that respect. So I think we have a leadership role. I think we have an advocacy role, of course, and we need to continue to do all of the things that we do now. Um, uh, if we do that, then in 25 years, you know, we will hopefully look back and see a very changed world. Um, That's what I hope anyway. I think EI has a leadership role to play. And it's not just a secondary role, it's a primary role to play. And advocating for quality education for every child in the world. Advocating for equal rights and for quality working conditions for all of our workers and advocating for women to be treated equally and have a strong voice, not only within the union, but within education and within our communities. I hope that EI will continue to be a model, not just within education, but for other organizations around the world. And to me, that's what EI is. It's a model for other organizations and how they can come together to solve the problems within their domain, but also to help solve the problems and the issues that we're facing on a global perspective. To get the latest global education news and advocacy, Subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word, and please give us a review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.